Well, Michigan State University Journalism School alumnus Mark Phelan is the widely respected automotive columnist and critic at the Detroit Free Press, and it's great to have Mark on every so often to talk about all things automotive industry. So, Mark, welcome back to MSU today. Thank you, Russ. It's great to talk to you. So, Mark, I know there are entire conferences held on this, but in general, as we catch up, what sort of the state of the automotive industry, what are some of both its challenges and opportunities? Uh, it's fascinating because it's a, it's a mix of things that you could have seen coming and stuff that nobody ever you know, imagined. Um, the move toward electric vehicles, electrification, reduced carbon emissions seems to really be gathering speed with vehicles you know, that, that will become mainstream models and more customers than ever before considered it, thinking maybe I should get an electric vehicle. That's the foreseeable part of it, although it may have accelerated more in the last few months than, than most people expected. The unforeseeable is the fact that you know, every automaker in the world is saying, where am I gonna get the computer chips I need to build the cars that people want to buy? Um, it, it, it is an after effect of the pandemic when automakers thought that you know, sales would be depressed for a really long time. Uh, they're happy that sales recovered faster than they expected, but they canceled some of their contracts to buy parts and the chip makers uh, you know, went out and got other customers. So you know, right now there are parking lots full of cars that have been completed, except for one or two chips that the automaker can't get right now. And they're waiting for them to come in so they can install them. General Motors earlier this year uh, dropped one feature that was quite popular on its best-selling pickups because they couldn't get the chip to enable it. So everybody, you know, for, for a few months who has been buying that truck has been, you know, going without something that people took for granted last year. So it's, 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 it's as they all seem to be, it's a fascinating year in the auto industry. Well, Mark, one word we're hearing more and more is mobility. And I don't want to say buzzword, but it, I think it means a lot of things to a lot of different people. How do the auto companies define mobility? What do they mean? <laughs> so, sometimes I wonder if they know what they mean by that, because you're right, it has become a catch-all. Um, it, 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 it is, you know, it, uh, it, it's a phrase that's a word that resonates well with you know the investment community and with different groups of, of consumers, because it can mean whatever they want. Generally, it comes. It, it breaks down in, into two buckets. Uh, one is developing vehicles that can, can that, that can increasingly take over some, most, or eventually all of the work of driving. You know, autonomous vehicles. The other half of it is adding services to vehicles that we never thought of before. Adding, you know, uh, well, it, it, it's a rare car these days that does not come with the you know, capability of connecting to one of the digital assistants, you know, Alexa or you know, Google, whatever they call theirs. I, I don't even remember, hey Google. Uh, so that kind of thing is part of it. You know, the, the idea is making it easier for people to do more in their cars, to you know, get better directions, to avoid you know, delays, to you know, make reservations for a hotel or you know, place a carryout order, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and the reason that it, it, automakers talk about it so much and, and that the investment community wants to hear about it so much is that it ties into the capability, they think, to offer subscription services. And that's the latest buzzword is subscription services. We don't know exactly what they are yet. Automakers want to have 
backing up slightly, electric vehicles will need considerably less regular service and maintenance than conventional vehicles do. That reduces one of the revenue streams for automakers and dealers. They're trying to find ways to offset that. And subscription services is one of the things that they think can do that. Um, we don't really fully, I anyway, don't fully understand what they're going to offer that customers will be willing to pay five, six, you know, 10, whoever knows how much uh, dollars uh, a month for. But eight, nine, 10 years ago, I could not imagine having five, six, however many streaming services that I pay a subscription for. And I, you know, may only use one of them. Uh, I, I, I have only used, you know, Disney in the year and a half that I've had Disney. I've used Disney to watch Mandalorian, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and uh, uh, WandaVision. That's a lot, and I'm paying, that, that's three programs, and I'm paying whatever I'm paying each month for it. But I want three, those three programs badly enough that I'm going to keep paying it. So the subscription model, I think, is waiting for automakers to show us what is the automotive Falcon and the Winter Soldier? What will people want to pay extra for? They haven't demonstrated it yet, but there's a lot of work going on. But all of that kind of wraps up in the idea of mobility, making it easier for people to use their cars, making it, making, allowing them to do more things while they're in their cars, and making it possible for car companies to sell them things they never thought they wanted before. I'm catching up with Detroit Free Press automotive columnist and critic Mark Phelan on MSU today. Mark, the other word and is electrification. And in a moment, I want to ask you one of the few people who's, you didn't drive it, but you got to ride in a moving F-150 Lightning. Before we get to that, though, in general, the, the auto companies are definitely moving to an electrified future, right? I mean, is, is there going to be a day, perhaps not in our lifetimes, where there's not a corner gas station? Or, I mean, how, how far is electrification going to go? As far as the eye can see, basically. And, and yes, there will be, maybe in our lifetimes, there, there will be a day when gas stations are as rare as the places where you buy hay for your horse. You know, there will always be some gas vehicles, you know, that, that remain. There will be people who collect the classics. There will be events for them. But, but the big automakers that can afford the investment, and it is massive investment, they have all reached the point of no return and kept going. They are on the route to electric. Um, most of the large automakers, uh, you know, the, the you know, General Motors, Ford, you know, um, uh, Volkswagens, Mercedes of the world are at the point where they are no longer beginning investment in new gasoline burning engines. Um, and that, you, you don't come back from that. You know, frankly, I, I mean, they are going to continue. They're, they're going to keep the engines that they've got for a while. They're going to keep building gasoline-powered vehicles for quite a while. But all of their capital in, in, uh, investment is going into uh, electric vehicles uh, these days. You know, and so th it, it will happen. It would take some kind of a catastrophic intervening event for for them to decide that they had to turn back now. So we are on the route, but. People who worry, I, I get emails from people saying, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about buying a new car uh, and I'm afraid to get a new you know, Honda Accord because I, I, I'm worried that I won't be able to get you know, spare parts for it or I won't be able to buy gasoline in you know, five years. 
nobody should worry about that. You know, th there will be gas, there'll be gas stations on every corner for a long, long time. Automakers have to keep building parts for vehicles they've discontinued for a long time. And none of them are discontinuing these vehicles because electric vehicles may be the way of the future, but you need to fund the future with money that you make today. And they make that money selling their current vehicles. There are going to be huge numbers of, you know, gasoline and, and diesel powered cars and trucks built for at least, I think, through the rest of this decade. And Mark, tell us about this Ford F-150 Lightning, because I read someone said somewhere, you know, Tesla made it cool to be have an electric car. Ford, when it's the largest selling vehicle for 40 years in the world, may bring it to the masses. Just talk about this truck and what it's I, Ford says you can power your house if the power goes out and charge tools at the website I gotta believe it's gonna be very popular I think so and that example you give of powering your house is the kind of thing that I was talking about with you know the the, the new applications that people haven't thought of yet because there, there are very few people who are dissatisfied with their current your vehicles. They start every day, they get them where they need to go. They're not saying, I'm desperate to trade this for a new technology. Um, e even the, the people who are most committed to you know, reversing you know, climate change you know, understand that the vehicles need to be practical. They need to be accessible to the vast majority of people. Ford, I mean, it, it's corny to say it, but they did this with the Model T you know, 110 years ago. They built, cars were a luxury good until then. They built a car that the people who made the, that car could afford to buy and change the world. And the F-150 is the kind of vehicle that can be that sort of inflection point for electric vehicles too. Because the, the prices start just under $40,000, which is Serious money, absolutely, but it is well within the range of what people pay for, you know, current F one fifties. So it, it's a car, it's a vehicle that's attainable. The technology is still improving, and it will for a while. So there are still drawbacks in terms of how far can you go and how long does it take to recharge the battery. But they are offering new features like the ability to power your house for three days in a blackout. And something that will be part of an app that they are basically you charge it off the grid. You've got you know a, a 240 you know volt uh, charger that you have installed at your house, and you charge it overnight, and that gives you enough power to <clears throat> excuse me to drive 300 miles uh, or, or power a work site if, you, if you're a contractor or your house literally for days. I mean they, they've even got a function built in where if you are powering a work site, you can you plug 10, 11 different you know, power tools, lights, air compressors, you name it, into various outlets you know, for, from this truck. You can work all day. They for up to three days, but you can work all day and you can program it in, in a little note that says, when I'm done, I need to drive 80 miles to get home. And it will stop powering those before you get to that critical level. So the amount of thought that has gone into this to make it not just practical, but to offer new features that people never realized they wanted before is what would open the door. People, more people are now willing to consider electric vehicles. They need to be convinced that the electric vehicle gives them something more. And things like that, plus I, I, I suspect that 
people will very quickly realize that they love not having to stop for gas, you know, every Tuesday afternoon or whatever, you know, not, not being stuck out in the, in the, the heat or the snow or the rain, just plugging it in every night. And it, uh, it's, it's got a full charge when you start the, the next day. So the F-150 even though the, the F-150 Lightning is the name they use for the electric version, it won't be on sale until next spring, but it's hard to overstate the significance it may have at that point. And it comes at the same time that Volkswagen is finally beginning to get a lot of vehicles on the road from its big shift into electric vehicles. GM is about to you know, get their, their first. GM, unlike Ford, decided to make their first vehicle a luxury vehicle. And there's arguments for that too. And part of what makes me optimistic about the market is that companies are approaching it from all these different ways. Uh, but GM is also going to have an electric version of their Silverado pickup that will go on sale probably around the same time as the F-150 Lightning. So between that and newcomers like Rivian, which is financed essentially by Amazon, so there's no way that's not going to come to fruition, and Tesla with their Cybertruck, which appeals to a totally different group of people. Nobody's going to buy a, a cyber truck because they're a contractor, because the you know, bed of it is like what you, you know, would see in an old El Camino. You know, it's not a practical vehicle. It's a style statement. But it's another thing that increases the mass of the, the momentum of the shift that's going on. Uh, so it, 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 it feels like all of that is at a critical point. And we need infrastructure to catch up. We need charging, more charging. We need more um, recharging station. We need, need more generation and we need more charging stations. Both of those are things that are being addressed by the proposed infrastructure bills. So there's a possibility of the pieces coming together and the change accelerating rapidly from here. Well, Mark, you know, the phrase game changer is often overused, but I think with the F-150 and as I'm pretty sure the Silverado is the second leading vehicle in the world. So any significant adaption of, of those maybe starting next spring really could be significant. I, I think you make some good points. And I'm talking with Mark Phelan from the Detroit Free Press covers our beloved automotive industry. And Mark, you mentioned autonomous vehicles. There are connected vehicles. Explain that while they're related, they aren't the same thing. And where are we kind of on cybersecurity concerns with, with connected vehicles? I don't oh, let me heard as much about that lately. but And let me start with cybersecurity because that's a fascinating area. And it's one that is you know, rightly very much in the news these days. The, the pipeline hack is the perfect example of why it's so important. And I, I was at a cybersecurity, an automotive cybersecurity conference a few years ago, and people were talking about all of the things that they were doing to, pre to prevent these huge, sophisticated actors from being able to hack into their car. And I, I asked one of them, you know, in a side conversation, why would any of these big, you know, multinational organizations, you know, terrorists, criminal governments, whatever it may be, want to hack my car. You know, the, the worst they can do is, is, is have me run into a wall. And is that really worth their effort? And the, the person looked at me and they said, no, 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 your car is the gateway to the infrastructure. And that's where cybersecurity becomes really important for the whole country because connected and autonomous vehicles are going to be, you know, have direct links 
to infrastructure, the, the more autonomous vehicles we get and the more driver assistance we get, the more we will have vehicles that can communicate with stoplights, with railroad crossings, with other vehicles on the road to figure out, you know, where's traffic, you know, should I reroute, all of those things. Similarly, as you're more connected, you, you may, you know, you know pay for a, a charge or for a carryout order just by, you know, tapping, you know, purchase now on, on the touchscreen in your car. That gets your car connected to the financial infrastructure. So uh, your car is the potential gateway to disrupting <laughs> basically all aspects of life in America. And that's why connected cars need to have absolutely first-rate cyber structure. That's why the, the sorry, uh, cybersecurity, uh, that, that's why it's such a, an emphasis. That's why you see some very high-powered people from uh, defense and intelligence being hired by automakers now. And interestingly, it's one of the reasons that the tech community in Israel has become a huge player in the auto industry because so many people come from the Israeli military and uh, particularly Air Force where they have a very advanced you know, cyber uh, uh, operations to the auto industry because they've been at the, the, the sharp end of, of the spear in terms of, you know, penetrating and preventing penetration of, of systems. So the, the connected part is vital. Autonomous is coming. We've got a couple more cars, uh, a couple more vehicles uh, this fall that should be available with hands-free driving on the, on the highway. Uh, right now, the only vehicles that can do that are ones from General Motors that have a system called Super Cruise. Um, some people with Tesla think their cars have got hands-free driving. Do not believe that. If you have one, do not do it, please. Tesla's got a very interesting system, but it, it, it is absolutely reckless and incredibly dangerous to yourself or anybody else to think that you can you know, close your eyes, get in the back seat, take a nap, any of that stuff. You still have to be hands on the wheel. The General Motors system and the new ones coming from Ford, uh, GM is Super Cruise, Ford's is I think called Blue Cruise. Those allow you to take your hands off the wheel uh, on highway drives. It's incredible, incredibly relaxing and, and enjoyable. I've done it, but you always have to be ready to resume control. And the you know, cars have got alerts built in to let you know if there's anything going on in, in terms of construction, traffic, they're, they're got tons of sensors. In my experience, the alerts are very effective. They give you plenty of time to resume control, but you have to be ready to do it. Um, those technologies should become much more prevalent soon. And they should, even though they're not full autonomy, they should make driving more efficient and pleasant for people because, you know, you know part of it is that they just, you know, stop some of the slowdowns, you know, that you see you know, when people on, on your commute home, when you come to a curve on the highway and the whole lane of traffic slows down because one person took their foot off the gas or braked when they didn't need to, that doesn't have to happen if you if you know, the vehicles all have this hands-free driving system. They all know what's coming. The, the first car doesn't slow down, so then all the other ones behind it don't. So just little things like that can make a big difference in the amount of time you, you spend on the road and how pleasant it is. So we'll see all of that. Full autonomy in limited areas is feasible now for deliveries and things like that. And I think it's reasonable to expect that we'll see 
that service for deliveries and for you know, perhaps you know, shuttles in limited uh, uh, in geofenced areas in, in the near future. Uh, that's, that's gonna make a big difference to people. It's one of the things that can be a big ongoing stream of revenue to automakers too. So when you get into connected services and subscriptions, that's part of what they're talking about as well. The engineers tend to be very cautious about complete autonomy because in their minds, that means that, that you can basically you know, be, be in an elevator. You, you don't see where you're going ever. You, you have no control other than pushing the button that says, this is my destination. And no matter whether it's day, night, snow, flood, the system will get you there. That level where the system can compensate with any outside factor is very distant. It'll be a couple of decades at least before we get to that if we ever do. But before then, we will probably at the, be at the point where hands-free evolves into systems that will drive for you 95% of the time but there still has to be a steering wheel available and windows so that if there is a flood, if there is a tornado that knocks out the infrastructure that you know, talks to the car about upcoming obstacles that you can take over. Uh, that is feasible. And for most people, that will be the equivalent of autonomy. And it's part of the reason that engineers are really hesitant to say it because they think of the absolute ideal idea of no windows, no steering wheel, you never have to do anything as autonomy. But there are other steps on the way that are coming relatively quickly that people will benefit from. That's Detroit Free Press automotive columnist and critic Mark Phelan sharing his expertise on all things automotive with me on MSU today. And Mark, let me ask you about your craft journalism. I mentioned you're a grad of MSU's J School, which I'll ask you about in a minute. But uh, coming out of maybe wasn't the most favorable previous federal administration. I don't think I'm saying anything out of school there, but what's sort of the state of journalism? And are we still using the word monetize a lot? I'm a happy digital subscriber to both the free press and news, but what's the state of your craft? Well, first of all, thank you very much for subscribing. And, and thanks to everyone who, who listens, who does. Uh, we appreciate it. We, and we take uh, the, uh, the, the, the you know, trust people put in us very seriously. Um, I, I suppose you're right. We, we have gone from, you know, we, we were in the frying pan and now we're just back in, in, in the fire or, 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 the, or vice versa. Um, at least we are not being called the enemy of the people <laughs> on a daily basis. <laughs> so, so there's that. But there are still, you know, tremendous challenges uh, uh, economically. Um, I think newspapers are increasingly getting a handle on it because, you know, we, they have learned how to monetize more services. Uh, the, the free press now has um, premium content that requires a subscription for access on some stories. And we've been very successful in getting people to sign up for that access. Um, but we also, when, when there's a story that's an emergency, um, as with most of our COVID coverage, we make that and most other newspapers also make that available to everyone for free because we feel an obligation uh, to do that. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's incredibly competitive. We still live in a world where there are far too many voices that are ma making claims that they can't support 
and just making wild charges in general. And you know, I think we can all probably think of five examples, you know, from the last week's news of, of that kind of thing. But, you know, we are, you know, continuing to do everything that we can to, to provide the information, you know, that, that people need and to make sure that we, that we get it right. Uh, because I, I, mean, I don't think there's, you know, anyone at, at any of the, you know, established, you know, outlets that, uh, you know, doesn't feel a real responsibility to people, you know, who, who you, know, you know, trust us to provide information. Yes. So Mark, take me back when you were coming out of high school, you know, why was MSU the place for you to pursue journalism and second part sort of how did your time as a Spartan impact you to get you where you are, you know, and and where you're going? What a great question. Thank you for asking that. Um, It's funny. I, I knew that I wanted to write and I knew that writing was hard work and that I am lazy and that I wouldn't do enough of it to discover if I was any good at it if I didn't have to do it. And journalism was, was the field that, that I could see where if you don't do it, the, the consequences are immediate. <laughs> so that, that was really the beginning of it. Um, I became a, a fan of, of newspapers, uh, you know, probably as a teenager, uh, reading columns in, you know, amazingly enough, the Detroit Free Press, uh, and you know, see, seeing some of some of the um, uh, syndicated columnists, you know, that, that are legendary names in journalism now, you know, Mike Royko from from Chicago, Herb Cain from San Francisco, and, and you know, realizing that it would be wonderful to to be able to talk to people uh, in, in that way and and to give them information that you know you know one hopes that they would find you know valuable and, and entertaining so you know that was really kind of you know you know my you know evolution uh, it's funny i was talking to a, an old friend from msu uh, recently uh, and uh, she said that uh, she remembered something i had completely forgotten uh, at some point you know while we were all in school here you know i said that, that uh, someday i was going to be a columnist for the detroit free press and i thought how lucky do you get <laughs> you know I, yes yeah, i i am that you know thank you um so it, it, the 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 j school was absolutely in, invaluable um it, it one of the things that has amazed me, I, I and I, I chose msu one because the J school um, is outstanding. It's had a good reputation forever. It teaches the things you need to actually do the job, as well as the big overarching principles of, you know, freedom of the press, you know, voices, you know, giving voice, you know, to, to those who don't have it, um, you know, accountability, all of those things. But it also, it, it gets granular, granular. I mean, the, the, the weeder class for, you know, the J school, uh, and I assume, I, I suspect that it still is, was one where you just sat at back then manual typewriters and, and typed on paper a story based on a list of facts. And if you had a typo in a person's name, it was a zero point because you don't get to get people's names wrong. You know, that, that is sort of rule one. <laughs> you, know, you, you have to get the basic facts right. And, and from that point onward, it really, you know, it, 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 it focused on the things that you need to do, that you need to understand to get the information and present it to people in a way that is useful and, you know, one hopes entertaining to them. Um, and I had the great good fortune at 
MSU to uh, work at the State News, the the uh, you know newspaper there, uh, which is distributed. Uh, well, uh, it was then distributed to everybody on campus. Now they've gone to a largely online presence, but I assume that there are still you know places where you can pick it up, pick up the uh, hard copy. But it was the best possible training, run by students. Um, Paid for, you know, you know, by students, um, and you know, focused on covering the the meetings that influenced our classes, you know, the the meetings in East Lansing that influenced the places where a lot of us lived, the, you know, the the, the you know, sports that we cheered for, you know, the the you know, security of life on campus, the places you know where you could get a, a good deal, how to avoid you know, scams when you were signing up for your first department, you know, all of that stuff. So it, it was incredibly valuable. Um, and there are people, you know, that, that I worked with, with whom I worked at the State News, who are, you know, colleagues of mine at the Detroit Free Press today. And I, I think that's just incredible. And it, it is a testament to, you know, the, the you know, success of, you know, the J School uh, at uh, MSU and, and of the State News. Um, it, it, I, I, I've been incredibly lucky, and I can't under, I can't overstate how much of that is, is due to the things that you know, happened to me, and that I was lucky enough uh, to uh, learn while I was at state. Spartans will, that's right. <laughs> uh, well, so Mark, you know, with MSU having every intention of returning to normal in the fall, within you know, person classes and whatnot. What would your advice be to the young Mark Feelins maybe sitting in, in a class in the Com Arts building now who may want to, in some way, follow you into this crazy, ever-changing communications world? Um, for, first of all, good luck, because that's important. Um, find places where you can do the work now, because showing that you have done it is the best way to, to get hired afterward. I mean, the, the state news was great. The Capital News Service, uh, which you know Michigan State initiated, is a phenomenal service that also gives people you know that that chance. I mean, wh whatever you can do to find the opportunity to get into print and to work with photographer with editors uh, who will you know tell you what they need and and learning to understand that relationship is important. And also the more different things you can do, the better. I mean, I, I would never, when I went to J school, you could get a you know, degree that was as good as any place in, in the country without ever having you know, recorded your voice on anything, without ever having taken a picture and certainly without video because, you know, the cost of video equipment then was prohibitive. Now, you need to, you know, be comfortable with all of the different aspects of multimedia. Um, you, you may do, spend most of your time you're writing text, but you could equally spend you know, all of your time shooting video and uh, narrating uh, voiceovers. And you're accomplishing the same thing. You're, you're getting people information that they want or need and, 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 you know, and, and helping them with, with it. Uh, so the, the more different things you, the parts of the skill you can master, uh, figure out how to do video, um, get comfortable with, with audio, learn what are the differences in presenting information in those. Um, and of course, you know, still photos also. Uh, no story makes it on the Detroit Free Press uh, website if there is not a photograph associated with it. Um, and, and that's 
maybe the best lesson uh, of all, because it used to be you know, that there was a, a bifurcation between people who wrote and people who took pictures. And you know, there are people who will specialize in both. The, the people who have got a great eye for photography and video create things that I could never imagine in a million years. But you have to at least be competent in all of those things. Those iPhones take such good photos now, Mark. It, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> it's stunning. And, and the video you can shoot with them. I, I mean, it, it's, it really is amazing. And I would never in a million years have thought that I would come to enjoy and really benefit from producing videos. Uh, I'll, I'll give you one fast example. Um, it used to, uh, uh, w- whenever I would be reviewing a vehicle, and there would be you know, something that didn't fit right. It, it hung, it wasn't lined up. It, 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 the gap was too big. Uh, whatever the problem was, I would write about it. And the car company you know, would you know, say, no, 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 we didn't do that. You know, that's not right at all. And the car that I had you know, you know, written about was already back and may have had that thing fixed by that time. The first video that I ever did to complement a, a review had some of those problems and I took pictures uh, of them and, and I shot the video and I illustrated, you know, the fact that, you know, w- one of the gaps was so big that literally I stacked five quarters together and I slipped it between two pieces of trim and I ran that video and I never heard a peep of a complaint. So, I mean, you know, it, it helps you to document, you know, what you are saying and, and to give people, you know, you know, more evidence. So it really does, you know, it, 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 it improves the job that we do, you know, getting the facts to people. Well, Mark, as always, it's been great talking with you. I forgot one question before I get your final thoughts. Where are we with the auto show? It was going to make a big splash <laughs> in June of 2020 and be outside. And where are we? Is there ever going to be another one? As more and more internet things happen for cars, what's the state of the once you know, <laughs> beloved auto show? The, the auto show has become a moving target for sure. Um, at one point, they had planned on having it in October this year in downtown Detroit. Um, the, the planning for these things it goes on months in advance. Automakers have got budgets that are set relatively early in the year. And to have a big presence introducing a, a new vehicle at an auto show is you know, a, an outlay of you know, a million dollars or more just for the staging of, you know, the, uh, of the big spectacular reveal. Uh, so earlier in the spring, the auto show got to the point where they were at the drop dead you know, date, whether they could tell automakers, yes, we will definitely have, you know, a big show set aside, you know, millions of dollars from your budget. They were not sure if they'd be able to have a big show or not at that point. Uh, so they pulled the plug on it. Uh, so this year, there will not be a Detroit auto show. There are a couple of little things, you know, that, that will try to fill the gap. And I'll, I'll describe those to you in a second. But the plan right now is that there will be a 2022 auto show. It will be in downtown Detroit in early to mid-June, as I recall, and it will do all of the things that they had originally planned when they made the you know, move from winter to summer. They will have outdoor events for driving. They'll have an off-road campus built. They'll be able to demonstrate self-driving vehicles and, and other technologies. And they'll have just, you know, nice outdoor displays and food trucks and all of the things that you can do, you know, in, on the waterfront in Detroit in Michigan in, in, in June uh, that you would not want to try to do in January. So that plan is still in place. Um, for the fall, they the, the, the Detroit Auto Show auto dealers plan right now is in 
August, so still summer for, for that, they will have a you know downtown um, car crawl, the Motor City car crawl. Every you know brand will be represented. There will be you know stands around downtown Detroit, you know showing all of their vehicles. They're expecting to have again you know food trucks, music. Try to make it a kind of a festival downtown. That's the uh, I believe the first weekend in, in August. But if you look up Motor City car crawl, you can figure that out. Um, in uh, Late September or later, mid or late September, uh, there's going to be an event at a small private car club um, just north of Detroit, you know, I, 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 on the southern border of Pontiac. Um, that's the, the place is called M1 Concourse, and the event will be called, called Motor Bella. Uh, they plan an Italian for beautiful cars, basically. Um, they plan to have uh, uh, stands. It's a, a big facility. There's a racetrack, lots of open ground. They plan to have displays from uh, automakers. They, they hope to have a couple of uh, new vehicles introduced, you know, the kind of news that used to uh, drive a lot of traffic uh, to the Detroit Auto Show. Um, that will be going on in September. Um, it's at a smaller place. It, it, it's, you know, not at a place that can accommodate you know, hundreds of thousands of people as TCF Center could for the auto show. So it'll be a much smaller event, but it will be available uh, for people who want to go out. Um, if you Googled uh, Motor Bella, you could get the details. And as the dates get closer, we'll have a better idea of what's going on. Certainly there'll be coverage in, in the free press if any new vehicles are, are introduced. Um, and uh, if you're shopping for, uh, for a car, it's probably a good way to uh, you know spend an afternoon and again you know september you know in, in you know michigan you know it doesn't get much nicer you know than the weather will probably have so you know with any luck it'll be successful and those two events are placeholders for next year's auto show the one other thing i should say is that a couple of the other traditional auto shows have been a bit more aggressive uh, the chicago auto dealers hope to have a show that is largely downtown in largely outdoors in downtown Detroit, uh, Chicago, uh, the, the, in, I believe July and the New York auto show is going to try to do another thing outdoors in uh, the fall. Uh, so we may see, we, we will definitely see whether the Detroit dealers were overly cautious when they decided not to have their bigger event. Uh, in, in the fall, but th there's motion going on. Um, the, the environment is changing as to how much money and, and, and effort automakers want to put into auto, uh, auto shows. Uh, we won't have a real answer to that until we go through a full normal calendar year, but you know, th things are beginning to happen again. Well, Mark, really appreciate you sharing all your insights today. And I guess just before I let you go, trends you're watching, what's kind of cool in the industry, what, what excites you, what are you going to be kind of looking at good or bad over the next several months? Oh, well, I, 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 I really want to see what, is, what are the practical limits of two of the technologies we've been talking about, electric vehicles and hands-free driving. And, and I'm hoping this fall to be able to take a road trip in which I, I might take you know one of you know, the, the new electrified Fords, uh, uh, the, probably the Mustang Mach-E, on a drive where I would try both of those because the, the the people who are most uncertain about electric vehicles are the ones who are afraid that the you know longer charging time will be inconvenient you know for for things they like to do so I want to see what is the sort of best case for you know going 
you know, 11, 1200 miles in an electric vehicle? How much longer does it take if I'm driving with the latest technology as far as finding, you know, charging stations and that kind of thing? And if I can combine that with a vehicle that you know, does most of the driving for me when I'm on the highway, that would be ideal. So that's kind of my, you know, you know the, the thing I'm most interested in attempting this year. Otherwise, I'm just really looking forward to seeing how various companies answer all of the questions that are facing them these days. Because you know, when the, the most interesting thing in the world to me is when you, you see two smart people come up with different answers to the same question. And maybe they both work, maybe one of them's right, one of them's wrong. And it's even better when you know they're they're spending their money and not yours to come up with these answers. So I'm going to be really interested because we've got enough different approaches to electric vehicles coming now that we'll be able to see what works, you know, what doesn't, what are the great new ideas we haven't thought of. And then we'll see people start to converge around a consensus. On, on what these vehicles should do. So, you know, that's what I'm most eager about. Uh, in addition to, you know, hoping that we do get the action to improve generating capacity and the charging that's really necessary for, for this technology to take off. Well, Mark, again, thank you so much for joining me and updating me on all things automotive industry on MSU Today. <laughs> thank you so much, Russ. It's always a pleasure. That's Mark Phelan, Michigan State University School of Journalism alumnus and widely respected automotive columnist and critic at the Detroit Free Press. Obviously, just Google the Detroit Free Press or go to freep.com. Mark's on Twitter at Mark underscore Phelan. That's P-H-E-L-A-N. And I'm Russ White. This is MSU Today.